Thank you, Becca Jo. Good, good prayer to, to be praying, isn't it? Well, open your Bibles now, if you would, to Galatians chapter 4. We continue as, as Paul has been writing to the, the people of this region, trying to convince them <clears throat> that salvation, that life in Christ is through faith. Uh, they've been had teachers come in trying to convince them, you need to follow the Old Testament law. You need to, as men, be circumcised. Then, sure, Jesus is good, but you've got to do these things. And it really boiled down to turning them from those who were followers of Jesus, having received the free gift of salvation and a walk with him and eternal life, to people who were earning their standing with God. And it's a dangerous, dangerous place to go. And as Paul moves on in these, uh, as he continues to help them grasp and understand the importance of living by faith and not by works, he wants them to get a picture. Because sometimes the thing that helps us see that we're like, especially when we're doing something wrong, is a story where we can put ourselves in the shoes of the people in the story and say, Oh, I could see that in their life, and oh, you're saying I'm like that? Oh, light bulb can turn on, right? It's like, oh, I think I, I think I understand better what my problem is. I understand why that would be a bad place to go. It's like the, like the prophet Nathan, uh, who helped David. Remember when he'd committed adultery with Bathsheba, he killed her husband, and then he just continued on in his sin, and Nathan came, remember, and told him the story about the, the poor man with the one sheep that was like a pet that was taken by his neighbor and slaughtered for some guests. And that got to the shepherd David's heart in a special way because he saw the injustice of it. And then when, it's, when Nathan said, you are the man, he could transfer that injustice he felt towards that rich man and realize that's what he deserved. And so as Paul continues on with the Galatians, he wants to give them an illustration, a picture, so that they can see for themselves what is at stake here, what their choice is. And so if you'd follow along with me as I read Galatians chapter 4, verses 21, down through chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Tell me, you who want to be under law, Excuse me. Do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son of the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants. One proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves, she is Hagar. Well, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. 
But as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So it is now also. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Now, there's quite a bit in there that requires some understanding of some Old Testament texts. And Paul's coming from a, you know, a world that's very different from ours. So some of this, you know, we struggle coming as you know, 21st century Americans into it to say, what is he talking about? What, what is this picture all about? So the picture was probably a lot more clear uh, to his original audience, but I think we can get the idea here. Uh, verses 21 through 23, he starts off by saying, you who want to be under the law. That's who he's addressing. They're, they're tempted to go into a system that says, okay, well, we'll keep these, these laws that come from the Old Testament. We'll observe these things so that we can be in a right relationship with God. We'll, we'll put our hope in being able to, be, to measure up according to the Old Testament scriptures. He sees there are people in the Galatian churches who are attracted to that idea of submitting to some system of laws. It's more like what they're used to. Even in their pagan religions, they had certain systems of law by which they, they placated and, and, and kept their gods happy. It's familiar, and it has something of an immediate sense of satisfaction when you do the thing you're supposed to do or you avoid doing the thing you're not supposed to. It's got this immediate feedback. Oh, I feel good because I did the right thing. I feel good because I, I didn't do that thing I wanted to do that I know according to the system I'm not supposed to do. Paul says, I want, I want to paint a picture for you. I want, want to help try to make it more clear to you what you're choosing here. And so he, he, launched, he takes, his, takes them back to Abraham again, even though he says, do you want to be under law? Do you not listen to the law? And there's where we might get derailed because at this point, in our minds, we think, oh, he's going to quote from Leviticus or Deuteronomy or something, right? Because we think, well, those are the books of the law, where all the laws are given. Um, but to uh, particularly the Jewish mind at this time, law might mean all the books of Moses. And I think that's probably the way that Paul's using it here. It could even refer to all of the scriptures that they had at that time already. Um, but I think here he's talking about the, 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 the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those five that, that uh, Moses wrote down. And so he says, let's basically, let's go back. We've talked about Abraham before and how Abraham was justified before God by believing. Because he believed God, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Let's go back and look at him again and go take things a little further in his life. It says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free. And says, listen to the law. You think you want what God has given in the past for different purposes to create a system by which you think you can be saved? That's not what it's about. He said, 
Think about the fact that Abraham had two sons. He said, I want you to, to think of this as choosing which of those sons you want to be like. Both of these sons had their futures impacted from the very start of their life from the identity of their mothers. One was destined for slavery because his mother was a slave. Therefore, he would be a slave based on that. The other was born in freedom. Therefore, he would be free from his birth. Their mother's status impacted their future. Paul wanted the Galatians to know that where you start impacts the rest of your story, especially when it comes to the issue of salvation. So he continues in verse 23, he says, But the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, but the son of the free woman through the promise. So, so here's two totally different ways of approaching this. And, and let's put this in the time frame of what's going on in Abraham's life. If you can remember, we talked about how Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. If you remember, that was inserted, in, or that came, came, it wasn't inserted, but it came in the flow of things. When Abraham was looking around in his life and saying, God, you've promised this land to me. You've promised me descendants like the stars in number, like the, the, the grains of sand on the seashore in number. And, and the, the, my, my heir is a slave that was born in my own house. I have no physical heir. So how can this be? And then God promised him that he would, in fact, have a son who would be a descendant, would be his physical heir, who would, who would be the fulfillment of that promise. And that's where God says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's the point where, where he, he, he comes to faith, right? His sins are wiped away. Righteousness is credited to his account. And we say, yes, that's great. And it's after that, in chapter 16, that this gets a little messy. The son, according to the flesh, is born after that. It's in Genesis chapter 16, where some time passes from when Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, that Sarah looks around and says, I'm still not pregnant. I'm getting old. I don't see how this is even going to happen. And so it's in Genesis 16, and I'll leave that for you to read. I'll just give kind of the, the summary of it. But she proposes an alternative to God's plan. And the customs of the people at that time and in that area were that a son that was born to the handmaid or the maidservant of the wife could be considered her son. And so her husband would um, father a child by her servant, and that child would be considered that woman's child. And she's like, well, maybe we can work it out that way. We can help God's plan along here. It would be the physical descendant of you, Abraham. After all, look at how old we are. After all, how in the world is this ever going to happen? And Paul wants the Galatians to see a parallel. He wants them to say, oh, are we going to be like Ishmael? Ishmael came to exist 
because Sarah proposed and Abraham accepted and participated in a plan where there was immorality involved. God had promised Abraham a son, therefore he was going to give that son through his wife. That's the way God designed it. And deep down they knew it. But when they didn't see it happening, they said, well, according to our own strength, according to our own conniving, we can make this happen. We can, we can produce a son to be this heir, this one that God has promised. And the same way as, the, gen, as the, the Galatians say, oh, well, God has promised to give us salvation, but we don't really see it. We don't feel it. We don't, we're not getting immediate feedback from this, I've put my trust in Jesus thing. And this, this proposal that you go back under the law, that feels, that feels familiar. That feels like something I can do in my strength, in my ability, in what I can perceive and see. I understand my own efforts, my own accomplishments. I'm going to go there. And, of course, Abraham and Sarah moved on and did that, right? Caused problems from the very beginning. As soon as, as soon as her handmaid Hagar found out she was pregnant, she despised her mistress. And that was just the beginning of the problems that go down clear to today. But on the other hand, there is the, the child of promise. But it was another 14 years after Ishmael was born, when Abraham was 86, he was 86 when Ishmael was born, it would be another 14 years when he was 100 before the promised child through Sarah would come. Then they were even more, even older, and more incapable of having children because of their age. Isaac was a miracle child. He was born because God is faithful and God kept his promise. God actually had to, to do a miracle in both their bodies, and we'll talk about that a little more later on. But Paul wanted to, 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 the Galatians to see that the growth and blessing found through believing in Jesus may not be instantly gratifying. You may not see the results you want right off. They may come after years of believing what seems to be the impossible and waiting. But those results are best. They come because God has acted, not because you have put your own tiny, meager, little efforts to work. And as he continues on in verse 24, he shows the contrast. You can choose slavery or you can choose freedom. You can be Ishmael or you can be Isaac. Which way are you going to go? He says, this is allegorically speaking, and that may not be the best word. Some of your translations have little different words, because the, the, the idea of an allegory is something that's connected to a, a practice a lot of times where, where people go in and they say, oh, well, there's this hidden meaning underneath the text of the Bible. And this corresponds to this, and this means that. And, and you come up with some really fanciful things that certain numbers mean certain things and all that kind of stuff. Whereas really God gave us a message and he's, he's like, here is the message, here is what happened. And he's very good at helping us to understand it, where we don't have to come up with some sort of code to understand what the Bible means. 
Paul's not talking about that kind of allegory. He's really saying, I want you to have a picture where you can make a comparison. You're familiar with what happened with Abraham and Sarah. Let's just take that particular event that you're familiar with and say, it's a lot like this over here. Paul's not saying that you need to go throughout the scripture and find some hidden meaning there. No, he's just making a comparison. Saying, you choosing to go after the law, it's, it's a comparison, kind of like this. And so he says, think of these two women as two covenants. There's the one proceeding from Mount Sinai, verse 24, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. So Hagar, think of Hagar as representing the old covenant. She corresponds in Paul's illustration to, to the choice to be under the law, which, uh, a law which was given to Moses on Mount Sinai in the Arabian territory, which interestingly is where the descendants of, of Ishmael would end up, out in that Arabian territory, right? Well, Mount Sinai was out in that general geographic area as well. And he says, Hagar was a slave, so she could only bear children who were slaves. That was just the given of the culture and the legal system of their time. And since the law can't make anyone righteous, it only creates people who are guilty, who are under a curse, who are enslaved to their sin. It says, if, so if you choose the path of Ishmael, understand you're choosing a way that only leads to slavery. But then he also makes another comparison there. He says, she is, corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. And I wonder if when this was read in some of the Galatian churches, if he came to that point and says, Hagar, Hagar corresponds to Jerusalem, the current Jerusalem, if somebody would go, what did Paul just say? Hagar corresponds to Jerusalem? would have really kind of, in a sense, been just sh totally shocking to them to make that comparison because Jerusalem was the holy city, right? It was the city where God had put his name, the city where the temple stood, the city where David reigned. What Paul's getting at is that city represents all those people who had rejected the Messiah when he came. And they said, oh... We, we don't believe in this Jesus and putting our faith in him for the forgiveness of our sins. We have the law and the Moses. And we will, we will keep God's law. We will be holy before him by keeping his law. And you know what they did? They failed. And they failed. And they failed. And yet, created a system where they could look good on the outside and be slaves to a law they could never keep, slaves to sin that they wouldn't let go of. And he said, if you want that path, if you want to be Ishmael, it's a life of slavery to your sin, a life of slavery to a law that will never bring you life. Those who trust in the way of thinking can only be slaves in an impossible effort to be known as lawkeepers, and yet continually they are lawbreakers. 
Verse 26, however, shows the other side. Well, if, if Hagar's Jerusalem, what, what city can you compare Sarah to that's better? Well, we found somebody. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. He says, if you want to be like Isaac, as someone who lives by, as a, is, give, is given birth because of faith, right? Because of a promise, because of God acting, then it's like the, the heavenly Jerusalem. And by the way, Abraham and Sarah acted sinfully when they came up, hatched up with the, the plan for Abraham to have a child through Hagar. But that doesn't mean everything they did was sinful. Matter of fact, they came around to actually trust and believe that God could provide a child through them. They had a 14-year training period in there, right, before Isaac came along. And the, and the book of Hebrews, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 11, there in that chapter we call the Hall of Faith. All these people who are given as examples of faith. And I, I want you to say, you know what? It could include me, even though I'm such a sinner. Right? All the people in this chapter who are held up as examples of faith are people who, at some time or another in their life, sinned against God. Maybe sometimes grievously, sometimes maybe for, for long periods of time. But here it says of Sarah, By faith even Sarah received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who promised. Therefore there was born even of one man and him as good as dead. At that, as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in number and as innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. See, God did the impossible. Basically, God had to, to do some recreating of parts of their body, right? said, Sarah was beyond being able to bear children. Abraham's body was as good as dead as far as, as fathering a child. They actually had, God had to regenerate those parts of their body and probably, in a sense, a lot of parts of their body since everything's so interconnected just so they could get the promised child. He did the impossible so that this child that was born was the child of promise. And, and Paul says to them, do you want to be like the child of promise? Do you want to be like the Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem above? She corresponds Sarah does to that. She is our mother. It's from that source that we are born. Therefore, our lives flow out of that heavenly Jerusalem where God's presence is fully revealed to us. That's where our place we call home is. That's where, according to the book of Philippians, our citizenship is, right? We are citizens of heaven. And we have a brand new birth when we come to faith in Christ that makes us free and wide open to the future that God has designed for us rather than a future of slavery and being manipulated and squeezed into the mold that sin and a world full of sinners wants to impose on us. We can choose the path of Ishmael 
But all along, the world around us says, and you be like this. He says, no, when you trust Christ, it breaks that off. And you head into a life that's in, in, in step with what he's doing. It's a life of true freedom that you're never going to know if you say, I'm going to put myself under this standard and I'm going to do it. I'm going to work hard so that I'm then accepted by God. Because that's slavery, that's Ishmael, that's this Jerusalem. He says, no, choose the way of Isaac, a way where it takes a miracle for you to be reborn. You couldn't do it yourself. It requires God to act on your behalf and give you new life that you would have never had otherwise, just to enter into that new life. It requires you to be citizen of the heavenly city, where there's hope. And then Paul does something that makes us struggle some more. <laughs> Verse 27, he then, we've been in, in, in Genesis, and then he tosses in a, a, a verse out of Isaiah. So we've been thinking here about, about Sarah, who couldn't have children, but then miraculously did. And, and Hagar, who shouldn't have had a child for, for Abraham, but she did. And how that corresponds to those two and Paul throws in this verse from Isaiah when he says, For it is written, it's found in Isaiah 54, 1, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear, break forth and shout for you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you go back to, to Isaiah and you say, Well, why did Paul throw that in here? Well, it seems to fit uh, with Sarah. Sarah was barren. She couldn't have children. And yet eventually she did have a son. And that son was the father then of the whole Jewish nation, which did, has become new, many, so numerous. So many people, just like God promised. Like the stars, like the sand on the seashore. But it ties into Isaiah as well. In Isaiah 54.1, a very profound truth about Isaiah 54 is that it comes right after Isaiah 53. <laughs> you wouldn't have got that without me, would you? <laughs> but I bet you probably are familiar with what's in Isaiah chapter 53. That famous chapter about the suffering servant, the one who would come and would bear our sins and our iniquities, the one who would come and, and, and be in our place, for our sins, that, that Old Testament chapter that sounds like it should be in the New Testament. And right after that, then it, it talks to Israel, and, and what's quoted by Paul here is actually addressed to the nation of Israel in advance before they go into captivity. And he's saying, you are going to go into captivity, and your captivity is going to be like you are divorced. You're going to go into captivity. It's going to be like you are a widow without a husband. And you're going to go into that place and it's going to be as though there is no hope. And I want to tell you, Israel, pictured as a woman without a husband who can have no children, you better start making your tent larger. That's what follows in Isaiah 54. Spread the tent pegs out. Make more room because your family is going to get huge. 
You're going to have more and more and more children as a part of who you are because I'm going to do something miraculous in you because you trust in me. There is hope for you. And I think the key, one of the key things he's, he's coming off of in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, it says something that we see is kind of strange since it's talking about the Messiah. It says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a gift offering. So there's where we see Jesus taking the punishment for sinners, right? But then the second half says, He will see his offspring, or literally his seed. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And you're like, hold on, Jesus didn't get married or have children. What's this about the suffering servant seeing his offspring? Well, what is the fruit of what he did? It's those who believe, right? Those who put their trust in him then become that seed, that offspring. We are the seed that comes, the ones who multiply and spread out, and not just Jews, not just those who have a biological genetic connection, but Gentiles as well, like in the Galatian churches. Paul says, get this picture in your mind as he continues on. Verse 28, and you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. It's those who put their trust in the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 that then become the children who are born by faith into God's family. And what he's already been talking about, you are, Jew and Gentile, like sons of God. Get the picture. You want to be like Isaac, the child born into freedom, the child who is born into life. Remember who you are, he says. You've put your faith in Jesus. You have become free in Christ, like the descendants of Isaac were physically free and not slaves. You have a future, a promise, an inheritance. Live like it. See, because Ishmael never got the inheritance, did he? Ishmael didn't end up being the one who would make Abraham the father of those who were blessed. Now, he did become the father of a great nation. God did that for Abraham's sake. But not the nation that would bring the one who would bring salvation by giving his life. Matter of fact, there were consequences of what Sarah and Abraham did by having Abraham have a child with Hagar. Just like sin always has consequences. And, and Paul lays those out. He says, verse 29, But as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So it is now also. And if you go back to Genesis 21, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to turn there, but when Isaac was born, they had a big celebration when he was weaned. It was part of the custom. The child is weaned. It's kind of this big step in his life. And Sarah looks over and hears Ishmael. And what's Ishmael doing? He's, he's I think, about a teen, young teenager now. 
making fun of this baby, mocking. Because guess what? Guess who's taking the inheritance that he thought was going to be his? Guess who's getting what he thought was going to be his? And Paul wants the Galatians to think, you know what? You think you're getting what you want by putting yourself under the system of law? It won't be yours. Because that's not the way of promise. The way of promise is putting your trust in Christ. Ishmael wanted to be the heir, but he wasn't there by way of the promise, and that's the way the inheritance was given, according to the promise. And it's so sad, from a human point of view, what, the, what Abraham and Sarah did to Ishmael. Their sin caused problems for him. Then he chose to sin himself and compounded the problem even more. But Paul's saying, you don't want that road. Because it goes then in, in, in Genesis 21, 10 through 13, where Ishmael, along with Hagar, actually have to be put out of the, the household of Abraham. And I'm, I'm not going to pretend I fully understand that step. Because God actually says, no, they have to be put out. And you think about the fact that God promised that Ishmael would become the father of a nation, but he had promised the land to Abraham and to his descendant through Sarah. And so you couldn't have two nations in the same space, right? But in essence, there was no inheritance for Ishmael here. They had to be separated out. And he's saying there, there are consequences to choosing the way of Ishmael, to choosing not the way of promise, but the, the way of self-effort and of your own plan. Hagar and Ishmael had, had to leave, and they had some rough times to begin with, where they, they had, God had, actually had to rescue the two of them from death. And it was a painful separation for Abraham, because Ishmael was his son. Sin has consequences. But mostly here we have this picture. Which path do you want? Do you want the path where you compound in your sin consequences that harm others and bring great pain and don't come with the inheritance? He says, look at the way, all that you lose if you're going to choose the way of Ishmael, putting yourself under the law. Instead, choose the way of Isaac says, if you've entrusted yourself to Jesus, you are like Isaac. You have a relationship with your father. You have an inheritance that is yours. And those who try to come by it any other way will not get it. It might be that he's also hinting a little bit that they need to cast out the false teachers that were in their midst teaching them that they could have a right relationship with God by keeping the law. You might be saying, you, you need to be out of here. Because it's, it's, the line is clear. You either come to God by putting your faith in Jesus and receiving the free gift of salvation, that is the inheritance, or you have no inheritance. You have no forgiveness of sins because you are a sinner. And if you put yourself under the law, it just tells you how condemned you are. There's not another way. There's only one way. It's very narrow. 
And sometimes as Christians, we, we feel a little bit like, well, maybe we're a little too harsh because we don't, we don't join ourselves together with groups that say you get a right relationship with God by doing. But it's not our idea, it's God's. He's the one that says, my way is narrow. My path, there's only one, and you can't make up your own idea and get to the same place. In fact, you have to come by faith, and then you have to live according to who you are. That's what 31 and, and, of chapter 4 and 1 of chapter 5 say. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondswoman, but of the free woman. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject, subjected to a yoke of slavery. Live according to who you are. Going back into the practices of a failed system that twists and misunderstands God's way is not the life God has created for us. Taking God's, God's law, which was made for the Jewish nation to prepare it to be able to bring the Messiah, and making it the way to God is failed. It's the way of slavery. He says, don't live that way. God hasn't created us for that way. He intends us to live by trusting him continually as we walk this life. Trusting him continually as we walk this life. That's the way of freedom. Because what he has in mind for us is a relationship that is like a young man who's coming of age. And as he comes of age, he takes on responsibility. But he takes on great freedom, right? Why? Well, because he is walking with his father forward. And he and his father have the same inheritance. And he and his father have the same goals. And he and his father have the same purposes. And therefore, in this picture, he has the freedom to do the things he wants to do because he wants the same thing as his father that he has a relationship with. So that's why there's freedom. That's why you're not going around saying, oh, what are dad's rules? That's not what it's about anymore. There was a training period. But now it's, I'm walking with my father that I have a deep relationship with, and I'm about the things that he's about. Of course, I don't always get it right, but he's there to help me. He's there to direct me. He has all that I need. And that's what it's about. It's about now sharing those goals, methods, blessings. Not about following the rules. It's about being free in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us pictures and things to make your word a little more clear and full, and I know uh, we've come a lot of years since that illustration was given, and, and sometimes it's hard for us to grasp in the same way as those who first got it, but I do believe your Spirit is directing us and, and help us to grasp that, that, that idea and help us to know that, that we want to choose to be like Isaac. And that, in fact, if we've put our trust in, in Jesus as our Savior, that's where we are. 
But sometimes we forget and we, we live like we're Ishmael. Lord, help us to see the freedom for what it is. Not for the, the counterfeit that the world is presenting freedom to be. So that we can, uh, can live the fullness and the richness of that relationship with you. That, that moving forward uh, in your power and in your love and in your grace and mercy. And for your purposes which are the best and the most, most rewarding and the most glorifying to you. Please keep on helping us in that. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.